So I think it's also the permission that there are other avenues. And it's okay if you don't love having a therapy practice. Like I needed to know that. (laughs) I needed to know like, it's really okay. Like this is a great model for some folks. And it's also really okay if this doesn't end up being the right one for you. 100%. Mm. So I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about, uh, I mean, I was in your, I was in two of your programs, but how you, what you offer for therapists that's kind of outside that box. Cause I, I conceptualize it as being outside the box, but you might say it differently. Yeah. So the way that I help people is to figure out one experiment to run that's outside of a private practice. And so the container for doing that is helping folks figure out what is a pilot program that they could run with a particular niche, serving some people that they're really excited about, and creating something high quality. This is the Finding Joy After Burnout podcast, a podcast for therapists and mental health professionals. Together, we unravel burnout and find our road back to joy. Here's your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett. Hey, have you ever put so much energy into something that you couldn't imagine quitting? That's how I felt about my therapy practice. I honestly could not imagine doing something different after all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it. So my guest today, Annie Schusler, and I talk about some of that, some of that journey of closing a private practice and also having different offerings, different roles of ourselves as therapists and as people. So we talk about that identity shift that happens when someone changes a career and specifically someone who feels like they no longer want to do therapy. So I would love you to listen to this episode. I think Annie has so much to share with us. Hey, therapist. I wanted to let you know about a free resource that I've developed for you. Introducing the Before You Quit Guide. This is the free resource I wish I had when I was in the throes of burnout. So it's going to include focused journal props on areas of struggle and burnout in clinical practice, identification of depleting experiences in your practice and in your life. And then we'll hopefully identify some actionable items for change if you're feeling depleted in your role. Please give yourself the gift of slowing down and assessing what's really going on with your career turmoil as a therapist. I know it can be confusing, isolating, and totally overwhelming. So grab your freebie. The the link for that is in the show notes. Thanks. Hello, Annie. Welcome to the Joy After Burnout podcast. It's so great to have you. Hi, Jen. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So typically on my podcast, I'm asking folks, what is your burnout story? Yeah, there was a building of feeling like my job wasn't quite the right fit for me and that I was stressed out. And I think 
that was probably going on for several years where I just thought it was normal and I wasn't really questioning it where I would, so I had a full therapy practice and I felt like that was the goal. And so I was kind of like living what I thought my dream was. Mm -hmm. And I had invested so much time, so much money, so much energy into building a full therapy practice that was really thriving financially. And like people were getting help and, you know, all the things that I had wanted. And I was noticing over the years that I was not loving my job. And I felt kind of guilty and ashamed about that because it's such important work. So many of my colleagues seemed like they absolutely loved the work and were so fulfilled by it. And so I just kept kind of like trying different things, being like, well, maybe if I niche a little further in this direction. Mm -hmm. And then that, yeah, that would give me a little bit of relief. Oh, maybe if I kind of do this training over here, that's going to give me a new way of working. And maybe like, I'll just kind of keep, like, I just kind of kept riding that wave of like, no, 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 this is, this is good. No, this is good. I can, I can keep doing this. And Then I went, so that was kind of going on for a long time. And then I went away with some friends from college. So um, folks who I was close to, but hadn't lived in the same town as for a really long time. And we had a little private reunion, four of us. And as each person was talking about her job, her career, I was getting the sense that even though they had things to complain about, I was getting the sense that each of them were really fulfilled by and satisfied by their work. And one of them is a minister, one was a professor, one was an organizer, really different jobs. But I could just tell there was like this juiciness and this aliveness to how they were feeling about their work. Whereas when I was talking about my work, I was feeling kind of like pulled down. I was feeling this sort of dread about going back. And that concerned me. (laughs) I I felt like I kind of had to see. I'm laughing because it's a knowing laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing. I could see like, oh boy, I don't feel about my job right now the way that they do. And I, I really had a... I had some clarity while I was there and then on the plane ride home and a lot of tears about, I don't think this is working for me and Mm. I don't know what to do about it because I care about this work. I love my clients. I have, are we allowed to swear? Yeah. I have invested a shit ton into this career. And so who am I to do something different? Like who am I to say like, yeah, how privileged to say, yeah, this is all working out, but I need to do something else. And I was the breadwinner. I was the primary breadwinner by a long shot. And so, and you know, we've got two kids. And so all of that, I was feeling really, um, really confused about what will I do? And then I went home to my partner and I told them, like, I need to tell you, this wasn't a complete surprise to them, but it was just with so much more clarity 
that I was saying, I really don't think this is working. And I'm so sorry, because I know you have sacrificed and this is what, you know, this is what pays our bills, but I'm going to have to make some kind of change. And I don't know what, and I know I am really interested in business coaching. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would really want to do. But I know we just, like, I just built this thing with your help. And they, luckily, they were just, I mean, not luckily, this is who they are. They were just very on board with, if that's what you want to do, that's what you should do. We'll figure it out. And so from there, it was not a straight line to just, um, you know, now I'm a business coach and I am unfettered and free. It was, you know, a journey of kind of recalibrating little by little, a few steps forward to like putting out my shingle, doing more work as a business coach, and then kind of going back and being like, oh, but this could work. You know, this could work maybe at a smaller percentage. So I like the therapy really, practice could work. Is that was that like the therapy practice could yes, work? You the mean therapy like going practice. back like the Yes. Yeah. Like what's the balance between these two careers? Mm. And then really it it just took me a long time to give me to give myself permission to set up my career in a way that I really wanted to. So yeah. I think that's the part where there's no one right answer about how anyone should set up their career. But if I could go back, I'd just be like, girl, like, what do you really want to do? Let's give that a try. Yes. <laughs> Let's give that a try now. Because that's where I've ended up is having, as you know, like I, my whole thing now is business strategy. I'm not a therapist anymore. And I still really value all of those years. Like I was a therapist for 20 years. I really value that training, that experience, those relationships. And um, I just, I do, I do feel like I could have given myself permission a bit faster to make yeah. that whole transition. I'm curious about and maybe you you probably have some great insights. I do as well from personally quitting my role as a therapist recently. But why do you think therapists struggle so much with that, giving themselves permission if it's not something they feel like they either want to do, if it fits with their personality? Mm -hmm. But I find that that decision-making process is so protracted for us. Yeah. I think part of it is sunk cost fallacy. Like just simply like adding up, even if we're not doing it consciously, we're kind of adding up the years and adding up the money and the investment of what we've put into that career as it was. So I know that was for me, it was looking at, you know, okay, I got Gottman certified. I know how much that cost. I <laughs> I went to, you know, grad school. I know how much that cost. I put all these years into my internship unpaid or barely paid. I know how much that cost. And like looking at all of it and then thinking, well, that's already sunk. So I have to just stay with that investment, Yeah, which doesn't actually make any sense. Like we have this bias towards whatever we've already invested in 
we're going to lose the value if we don't stick with it. And yeah. really that, that that's cost is sunk. Like that's over no matter what direction we go in next. But I think maybe because becoming a therapist, it does take a big investment up front of time and or money and definitely tons of energy and love. It's hard to walk away. And then I think there's this identity piece too of like, it took me a long time when I was both a business strategist and a therapist. It took me a long time to start introducing myself as a business strategist or business coach up until really, I think I let go of my license and, um, and my therapy practice was just a teeny tiny portion of my income or my time. I would still introduce myself as a therapist because people knew what that was most of the time. And it was an identity that I could kind of slot myself into and that I was proud of. So I think I think that can be hard to turn away from. And then I think we tend, maybe, tell me if you agree with this, Jen, Mm -hmm. like I think we tend to be pretty sensitive, caring people. And so moving away from an identity and a label that is so clearly like a caring profession, I think Mm -hmm. is hard for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think- all of that certainly mm-hmm. the identity as a therapist just is i think it's almost there's a reverence to it mm-hmm. for me and mm-hmm. for many therapists like i am a therapist i do therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I i think of this example of going to my physical therapist because you know i i play tennis and i often go to pt and my pt was telling me you know, I have this client and they tell me they're going to their real therapist oh. later in the week. Ouch. <laughs> and he didn't, <laughs> he didn't really take that negatively. It was a like, you're the, you're the real therapist. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm some other kind of therapist. Um, but I think it speaks more to like the reverence in that when we think of, of therapy in many ways, we think of mental health therapy, we think of counseling, we think of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And not to minimize the work of other wonderful qualified professionals that are doing great work because they are equally as important and valued, of course. Uh, but I think sometimes there is that identity that we have as therapists that's hard to shift. And, you know, I almost liken it sometimes to, you know, spiritual ministers or something like yes. that who had, you know, either there's some kind of spiritual minister or pastor or priest, whatever. And that identity shift of, that's not who I am anymore. And then who am I now? Because I have that going back to the sunk cost fallacy. I've put so many chips in the boat. Yes. And if I, if I abandon ship, I'm rudderless. And so there was, I, I know for me, there was, there was a, a lot of time spent just feeling like what, what's now and what do I even do? Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's trying to get us also out of the therapy paradigm because which is entrenched in so many things, medical model, patriarchy, you know, so many things that I don't think don't fit into our work, but yet we're, we're kind of asked to stay in that, that kind of box. So that was a long ramble. No, it wasn't. (laughs) And I think also a therapy practice, like if we're thinking about like this, and this was a lot of my experience was being in private practice as a therapist 
it's a really good business model. Like it, it works. And mm-hmm. a lot of people can make a good living being a therapist in private practice. And so that's a good problem that like, it's, it's sometimes hard to walk away from something that really people know what it is and it pays the bills and without having to do a lot of the things that you've got to do as a business owner in other professions, you can get it going and make a good living as a therapist in private practice. So yeah, I think that can make it, it's a good problem, but it can make it hard for people to step away from. Yeah, I totally agree. And also I think one one thing I was thinking about is that those relationships to clients almost feeling like Mm-hmm. I'm abandoning them in some totally. ways, even though I knew that wasn't true, you know, that I'm not meant to hold people for years necessarily. Maybe some other people have that calling. I don't have that calling. I don't feel like that's the type of therapist I was, but somehow I did it anyway, mm-hmm. because I think in our training, you just have this artificial ending to every therapy relationship in your training. So okay, you end a practica rotation, you end your internship, you end your post for me, I'm a psychologist. So you end your postdoctoral placement. And so every one-ish years, you end a therapy relationship with that client. Whereas if you're, you're long-term private practice, there's just like, it's very much like, where's where does it start? Where does it end? When should I discharge? And we all have that knowledge, that clinical knowledge of okay, they're not meeting treatment progress and I really should like stick to that treatment plan and going back to that. But it's different when you're holding humans through pain. Yeah. And, and that's more your focus versus, you know, you're in that kind of educational mindset where everything is to the letter. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Absolutely. So then it's like to close a therapy practice means yeah, actually terminating with some people where it's it's like us initiating that. Yeah. Not because we have to. Yeah, there's something about like permission to do something because you want to. Yes. <laughs> to say like, <laughs> I love these people. I'm not like, that's all I feel about them is like, I love these people. I don't want to abandon them. I don't want to harm them in any way. Right. And like, you know, talking about my my clients and specifically the ones I had to end with at the very end when I was closing, it's like, there's nothing wrong here. There's nothing that I'm like, I got to get out of here. But to say like, I'm going to close this because I want to and because I like want for me, in my case, I wanted just one business. I wanted things to be simpler. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any horror story to give anybody about why I was shutting it down. And yeah, I feel like it's it can be hard. I feel like it's getting easier, but I think it, it definitely did feel hard for me to just say like, because this is what I want. This is what feels more right for me. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's all this permission that we don't allow ourselves to claim mm-hmm. that we can just want something different. We can just change our minds and want to do something else. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful what you said, that there's a wanting to, to allow ourselves to want something. Yeah. It's okay. 
And it's a life force. Like when, when we really want something, especially around what kind of work we want to do, I feel like that life force is so intense that we, I need to follow it. You know, like I help people figure out what niches they're going to go with mm. in their businesses. And like, I've got all these formulas that I give people and filters I give people to try to figure out like what's going to be a viable direction. And I think the biggest factor is that desire, that drive of like, what do you feel pulled to the most? Because it's that you need that engine in life to make things happen more than more than even like, yes, this is a viable niche. The numbers look like this would be a good business. It's like, yes, but is it your business? Like, <laughs> is it gonna, is it gonna provide you that drive? Mm. So now I really respect it. Like I really respect when I'm feeling like drawn to doing a project. I really respect that desire. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm just sitting with it. I'm just mm -hmm. letting it sink in. And I just, and I'm thinking like, why, why do we not listen to that sometimes? Mm -hmm. I know I crowdsource sometimes. Like I crowdsource mm -hmm. what, um, what my next decision should be. And I think sometimes that can be useful to bounce things off of people to like, figure out what's going on in the market, figure out what people need. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to ever encourage someone to like go create something without talking to people first, because we do want to create something that people will want to pay for if it's our business. But sometimes I think we can crowdsource, I can crowdsource myself into a corner where like, I'm looking for approval. I'm looking for reassurance. And what I need to be doing is like following that drive and getting started. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually I came to one of that, that realization when I'm working with you. Mm. So I think with a program that I developed before, uh, focus on brain injury, which was a deep area of my specialty and mm -hmm. a group I'm passionate about. And I'm sure I will still be in that world in some way. Some We'll see, you know, because I do have passion there and that feels good. But I think my drive, uh, for me, my drive to create something was was from scarcity, was from fear of I can't do therapy anymore and I have mm -hmm. to figure my way out and claw my way out of doing this. So launching a program or launching this thing has to be, I have to, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. And that energy had me spin into something that, I don't think I necessarily wanted to do, mm. but I couldn't realize it until I did it. And it was part of the unraveling of, of me closing the, the practice and figuring that piece out was that, okay, I tried this thing and that that's not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too, that it's, it's still, I still see it as forward progress yeah, and not as failure. You know, I, it was a growth moment where I just had to figure out, okay, you tried something and it wasn't something that you wanted to do and that's okay. Totally. And, and it was a that, good guess. You yeah, know? It was a good guess. <laughs> and in that, I think I was looking a lot to you as my business coach to tell me or to kind of stamp the approval on mm -hmm. this is good, right? I think the deference that we have as therapists to for, for safety, right? I'm going to mm -hmm. check with my client to make sure they're safe. How are you? 
Mm. What do you think? So we're always checking in with other people. We're co-regulating with people all the time. It's it's not a bad thing. It's just in this context, it may not work for the situation. Yeah. And so I had to come to a determination that I needed to think about what I really felt and wanted from internally, from myself, instead mm-hmm. of my partner, my business coach, who was wonderful, is wonderful, by the way, my friends, all that, yeah. and have that internally before I did that crowdsourcing, before I did that reaching out to other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. That there's like, sounds like there was this little part of you that felt like you were looking for permission maybe to do something different. God, it's so hard, Jen, because it's like you, like you, for example, like that was a really great idea. Yeah. My own therapist always says, you have the best, like, you don't know how many millions of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I do, you know, I, I think I do have really great ideas, but does that fit when I'm in it? Does it feel yeah. good? And yeah. it, it didn't feel good when I was in it, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was the hard piece. That's what I was like. This is a really great idea. This is a really great thing, but it's not the thing I want. Yeah. Or I, I can do right now. I think when we're experimenting with a new niche or a new program or whatever it is, I think that needs to be a huge part of what the experiment is meant to show us. It's like, we can look at what are the numbers telling us? Like, is this niche or is this program working? Am I getting interest? Are people, you know, like signing up for my newsletter list or whatever? But we, I think we also need to be tuning in to, all right, running this experiment. I want to look for those things, but I also want to look for like my own internal metrics. Like, is this, is this lighting me up? Is this working for me? Am I still feeling really obsessed with this thing? Mm, Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, your process actually really illuminated that. So your Mm. um, superpower exercise Mm. that we did, that was really helpful. And you know what I went back to is I I did, um, I worked in college counseling and I had a co-therapist, a very seasoned, wonderful senior therapist who I was a co-therapist with in that group. And each one of the members filled out cards about what they thought about you. And I went back to the cards <laughs> from that therapy group. And like in doing that exercise that you initiated, mm-hmm. I know we're talking all about your, that's, but I love your program. So it's, but anyway, that I go back, I went back to that. And a lot of that experience was that I, I love to work in groups. I love mm. to be able to do different things. Um, teaching is really important to me, which mm-hmm. isn't much like therapy. So, I mean, I think also your temperament is super important and yeah. knowing that which, what am I as a person, like what am I really kind of designed to do? Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? It totally makes sense. I've been noticing in myself, there's certain things I'm good at that I don't like to do too much of. And so sometimes I got myself boxed into a corner, which is really different than what you just said. Cause what you were just saying was like, those things resonated with you. Like, yes, I love groups and I love teaching. Something that I noticed I did to myself was in being a therapist with either one-on-one or couples for like 20 years, 
I was being a certain way, I was being a certain part of myself that I can be and that I can be really good at. Yeah. And so then I was getting that reflected back to me. Oh, you're so calm. Oh, you're so patient. Actually, I can be, but no, <laughs> like I'm actually not that patient. And leaning into patience was using up my patience in a well, way that- It's that resource, right? So yeah. you have to like really- that's all the resource you have of patients that you're expending yeah. in the therapy room. Yes. And that's Whereas all you I have. Look at, like, <laughs> I look at my spouse and they are patient. Like they are internally just essentially a patient person who like moves more slowly through the world and like Same listens. Same with my partner. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm like, I think my spouse would laugh really hard if someone was describing me as patient. Like that's not my... Yeah, I I use it up and I need to like in my daily work, I need to be doing things that allow me to move really quickly and allow me to like give feedback fast and move on and you know. So I think there can be this danger of like us falling into doing more and more of what we're good at right instead of what we're like like you said, designed for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, and in the, th me in the therapy room, I'm thinking about like that, just the therapy. I, after a day of therapy, my body was so mad at me and probably most therapists I feel like or feel very similar, but mm. I would just like, I just hate to sit for hours upon hours. I'm mm. very active as a person. So mm. I want to go walk and I want to do other things. And, um, and that doesn't really, that's not really what a therapist workday is like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's also thinking through that stuff. Like how do I feel throughout my therapy day? Yes. It's working for me. So, oh my gosh, so good. Yeah. And then there's like, I know that the way people are doing therapy is changing so much. Yeah. And so there may be for some folks, a way to like genuinely step into a way of doing therapy that feels more life-giving, mm. that feels more like it's how they're designed to work. And then I, for me, I know there was sort of this, like I was talking about earlier, this like, maybe if I try it this way, if I try it that way, as sort of an avoiding of actually this whole thing isn't really meant for me. Right. Yeah. And I, I did, so there was like a time in my practice where I was changing my, my website. I think I changed different offers maybe like four or five times during that year mm -hmm. before I met you, offering EMDR intensives, offering Gottman intensives. Well, maybe if I, you know, yeah. then I would change it. Maybe if I do this. So I, I had a similar process to you where I felt like if I changed my practice and perhaps um, maybe more walk and talk therapy because that became popular in the pandemic. Yeah. And probably wasn't a thing when you were still in practice. I don't know. I think it, it was. was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I never did it, but, um, but I, yeah, I thought about it. <laughs> and I know for some people, then that is the solution. It's another like good guess. Like that was a really good guess to yeah. try that and to give yourself that to then realize, okay, even with all that, I still want something different. <laughs> mm-hmm. How was really, it doing walk and talk for you? Yeah, I think it was more of like you're in COVID and 
Mm. I was just Mm -hmm. trying to see people how Mm -hmm. I could see them. And so it was more in response to the pandemic that I, I chose to do that. And I, and then I fell back in the rhythm once the immediate crisis kind of was resolved because I just closed this March. So I found that people just wanted to come back to the office and I still had the office. So that's what they, I just fell into that. So I didn't really have that thought like, oh, I like this. I should do more of this or market this thing. But then I was into marketing the other 10 million offers that I thought would fix my therapy problem. (laughs) But it was just (laughs) me not wanting to do therapy anymore. And I had like a a hot tea or crying session with my my own therapist where I was Mm. like, I just don't want to be a therapist anymore. And, uh, and I was like, that's, I can't, that can't be true. It can't so it was, be true. Wow. That can't be true. And you're saying this to a therapist. Right. How did that feel? Oh, I mean, I'll still see her. I actually love that <laughs> therapist. You know, you yeah. are realizing this. Uh, so, I mean, it felt safe, but it also felt like scary. So a lot yeah. of fear came in, like, what next? What do I do if I'm not yes. doing this? And it's still, I mean, it's part of it's still there. So part of me will still be on Indeed or LinkedIn looking at jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if this doesn't work out, maybe I could still go back to therapy. So it's still mm-hmm. there. I mean, it's yeah. not that feeling of um, scarcity or financial pressure. I feel like I have to kind of thwart even though there's no crisis. So it's mm-hmm. more of a perceived danger in my nervous system. So yeah. I have to. <laughs> just work on that stuff, bring up my own stuff in my own therapy and continue to work on it. Yeah. But it still happens. And I think that's normal, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for therapists who've, you know, worked with trauma, who've have their own trauma from the work, you know, their nervous system might be a little bit different. And I think the therapy room is safe in a lot of ways. Like it's a safe, we know that's a way we can earn money. Yeah. Right. So it's that perceived safety of I'm doing this job because I know I can make money at it. And I don't know what this other box looks like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that box seems really scary. Yes. There's so but, much to figure out in that box and like create. Whereas like a therapy practice, not that it's, I know when someone's building it, it doesn't feel easy. In retrospect, it feels relatively easy, like because it's a known thing. You can say, I'm a therapist. And if you're a good therapist and you're willing to talk about it, yeah, you can feel it. Yeah, it's that other box you have to like build or find yourself. And it's totally different. That yeah. was a trip for me when I let my therapy license go. Mm, talk about was that. Just saying, like, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna take that leap of faith that um I mean, it's easy to take the leap of easier to take the leap of faith because my my income was already coming from my you know business strategy work, and I still was like, well, I could just renew and just in case, and then I just really sat with myself and and it felt like a more life affirming choice to let it go. And I asked myself too, like with that sunk cost fallacy thing, I asked myself like, what would I do now if I didn't have a therapy license? What would I do to get one? And I realized nothing. (laughs) I wouldn't do anything to get one. So in that way, it was sort of 
passed the same test that I use when I like anything becomes available in my life. And I Mm -hmm. will ask myself, well, just because it's here, just because it's free, just because it's available, like, isn't a good reason. Like, what would I do to get this thing if I didn't already have it? And we like, we do that when we walk by yard sales even. And (laughs) right. It drives my spouse crazy. I'm like, but would you, what would you do for that if it wasn't in your hands right now? So anyway, but for my therapy license, I realized I really wouldn't do anything for it because it doesn't fit my, it's not what I want to bring into my future with me. It's not my Mm. career coming up. Makes sense. But it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to let it go. You know, it's hard to uh, just say that is completely done. So that mm-hmm. that means even more of a progression, I think, for a therapist who's thinking about quitting. Oh, yeah. Thinking about le- yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go, go. I mean, I think there's so many good reasons to keep it. Yeah. Like there, you know, there for so many people, there is a chance that they're going to want to make at least part of their money using their therapy license, or there's going to be a job where it would be better to have a therapy license. Like I've talked to people before. I always have to think about like as a business strategist, talking about business, the things that I say are louder. <laughs> it's like I have this <laughs> megaphone. And so if I you say- do have a microphone. <laughs> I do have a microphone. But if I say like, I gave up my therapy license, it can sound like that's what I think people should do. But actually- so I've had clients say to me, like, I decided I'm going to keep my therapy license for now, almost apologetically. And I'm right. like, yeah, let's talk about why. And then sounds good. Sounds like a great. Sounds like, yeah. Great decision. And for some people who really feel like really drawn to therapy, there's there's some therapists that are really burnt out and mm-hmm. really just need a shift and a break. Yeah. yeah. It's okay to just take a break. And if yes. you still feel called to that, then it will be there. That's and right. those people, I mean, I don't feel that at all, but I, I I know therapists who feel that way, but they feel burnout after the pandemic. And it's mm-hmm. more of, I need a break or I need to change the way I'm doing things. Um, yeah. I think Susanna Horwitz, who I just, um, I interviewed as well on the podcast, uh, is doing like a therapy focused, you know, intensives, EMDR intensives, but very much like using art and expressive therapy. Ooh. I'm bumping stuff because I'm moving my body. Yeah. But it just sounds just lovely. Yes. And wonderful. So, and I think they feel great, uh, you know, keeping, having that under their license. And that's a really great option and an example of a therapist who feels still drawn to the work. And yeah. That's and it's not if, a bad thing. That's just their, what they feel called to do and their desire. I truly feel like for Susanna, it's their desire to do that. Absolutely. Yes. And like the therapy license is Susanna's tool instead of it's in charge. <laughs> it's like right, right. going to dictate what they do. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So I, I think there's multiple paths and journeys that therapists have. Um, so there's not one way. There's not one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also permission if you don't want to do it too. Because no one really talks about this, I find. Yes. You know, all the marketing out there, not your marketing, but there's a lot out there about like have a hundred thousand dollar practice. And, uh, and that's the only one way to kind of financially be more secure. And so mm-hmm. I find that problematic when, especially for, I think for new therapists who think that's my only way 
to make yeah. money. That's my only way to do this. So I think it's also the permission that there are other avenues. And it's okay if you don't love having a therapy practice. Like I needed to know that. <laughs> I needed to know yes, like- Yes, same. It's really okay. Like this is a great model for some folks. And it's also really okay if this doesn't end up being the right one for you. 100%. Mm. So I'm wondering if you can maybe talk about, uh, I mean, I was in your, I was in two of your programs, but how you, what you offer for therapists that's kind of outside that box. Cause I, I conceptualize it as being outside the box, but you might say it differently. Yeah. So the way that I help people is to figure out one experiment to run that's outside of a private practice. And so the container for doing that is helping folks figure out what is a pilot program that they could run with a particular niche, serving some people that they're really excited about, and creating something high quality, usually outside of their therapy license. So something like an online program or a retreat or a workshop that is something that they can like dig their teeth into, create and sell to like either even just one person or a small group of people to get the ball rolling quickly. I used to help people in a much more kind of like broad, open-ended way. Like let's just start exploring what you might want to do beyond the therapy practice. And now it's really this Let's start an experiment and run it quickly because that's a way that I find that people can hold the experiment lightly enough and actually get started on it and not get bogged down in perfectionism or in like, is this the perfect choice? It's like, we really want to just make a good guess and get started yeah. in the process. So I've got a program that's 10 weeks at this point where people come in and we work on niching and then we work on program design and then we work on marketing. So they're then able to like get some of those foundational business skills under them in doing those pieces. Yes. And that it's very, very thorough in my perspective. Yeah, I think that getting started quickly is super important because, mm -hmm. and there's no way you can stop me from overthinking anything. That's just my brain. But I, I think I'm not the only one, I'm not the yeah. only therapist who overthinks and is like, am I doing this the right way? Like, what about my license? Like, what's, ex and I, you talk a lot about that, but still, mm -hmm. I think there's just hesitancy towards doing some kind of out of the box type work. Absolutely. And, yeah. And it's, I think it's nice for people to be together in that because everybody, I'm mean, not everybody, but most people are worried about those things. And we have an attorney come in and answer questions about like, what might this mean for your particular license? What's like a safer way to do this? What's your risk tolerance in, right. you know, making these decisions? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think in our training, we're just really taught what we what not to do all the yes. time. Yes. You know? Yes. Don't do that. And then don't do that. And don't do that. And don't do this. So what can I do? So it, it, I think for therapists, we are, we're kind of rule followers and it feels like, okay, like what happens if I 
you know, am I going to harm the cl- a client or is someone going to be mad at me? I think there's a lot of fear there as well with, with thinking about different ideas. Yeah. So I think it's important to, to like, do your due diligence, of course, but also mm-hmm. again, permission, permission that no one's going to come after you is important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, it's so hard sometimes to let yourself find what the desire is when all of those like, but what if, but what if, what about my license? Ah, what am I allowed to do? Those are really good questions, but sometimes they come in too early and they don't really allow the desire to even express itself. Right. So yeah, I, the first few weeks of the container of create your program are really like, we don't look at the how yet. We don't look at the the legal stuff yet. We like start leaning into why do you want to create this and who do you want to create this for? And like really allowing that desire and that creativity to start coming up. Yeah. And I just think therapists are awesome people. I mean, I yeah. think our, if you think about what's, you know, what's sometimes out there for the people that you want to work for, and what you can offer, I mean, your therapy skills are so good mm-hmm. that the way you can deliver that, not I'm trying to not trying to put like one over the other, but I'm just I'm just trying to magnify like the awesomeness of therapists that we're often the best people and we're gonna hold them in an ethical, responsible way. Mm-hmm. That's what I find of the therapists that I know. Yeah, and we're gonna know when another kind of referral is needed. We're going to know like what to look for. Like if we have a program that isn't the right fit for somebody who comes our way, I feel like we're in the, I mean, I'm still putting myself in this because I still have the training even though I'm not a therapist (laughs) anymore. It's like, we're going to know when we need to like recommend something else. And I think that's huge. So yeah, therapists, like we worry the most about like, is this ethical? Can I do this? And we're probably like some of the safest people to be doing this work. So it's that weird, it's that weird thing (laughs) that I so often find myself in those conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the things that make us the best people to do this also make us not want to do it. Yes. The most afraid. (laughs) Most afraid. (laughs) So it's, it just is, you know, it's just part of the process. But on the other side, I think leaning into curiosity is hard when you're stuck in that fear and stuck in that burnout place. That's what I, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm working on more of the burnout piece with therapists, Mm -hmm. because I think it's hard to be curious when your nervous system is in a state of fight or flight all the time or when you're shut down. And so I think that piece is important for them to be able to get curious and figure out, Oh yeah, like I could totally offer this fun program and Mm -hmm. do this thing with people. And, you know, I, I just think our work can be so heavy and having fun feels, feels like that's not possible sometimes. Mm -hmm. Almost whispering it like, can I have fun doing this? Wow. Okay. And bring different parts of yourself to the work. So I think too, like, I don't know about you, Jen, I feel like in order to be creative, like to actually create something new, not just sit with clients and create healing, which is incredible, but to like step in and 
create something of your own that you want to teach or that you want to facilitate or like to create content like what you're creating. Yeah. It's like we can't, I can't access that from a burnt out place. I can't access like what's next from a burnt out place. I have to find ways to like nourish myself and like get out of what's kind of grinding me down in order to even think creatively. If I tried to like write something or create like, let's say a solo podcast episode or something from a place of burnout or just like, you know, yuckiness, like I can't create anything. And whatever I do try to create is like crappy and it's like pulling teeth. I have to be able to get out, get curious. Yeah. Like see myself in a bigger context. And then it comes and it's like, it's not always easy, but it's definitely possible. So yeah, we can't, even if we want to, I think we can't get out of burnout and into creativity without like stepping all the way out, like getting some rest, getting some perspective, getting some like other inputs. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard to recognize that in yourself, you know, that that's, like my body pretty much for me, my body has to pretty much shut down. Mm. <laughs> so it's, I can be very cognitive. And so my body, you know, has to pretty much get to the point where it's like, we are done. Mm. And I'm getting better at that now. But I think the pandemic was a super, for many therapists, I think it was an abnormal traumatic yeah. thing for all of us. Right. And especially those of us who are practicing in the pandemic, to hold that while you're holding yourself while you're, you know, it's yes. just, it was a unique situation. So that, I think I'll add that caveat for myself anyway. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody else feels that way. So yeah, but that perspective, taking a break and breaks feel great. It just really helps you to, to figure out. And I think the more I've been trying to work in this online business space or podcasting, because I had a podcast before, which I love podcasting, honestly. I just love being able to connect with people in this unique way. I think the more I'm finding out that, you know, there there is support, there is, I think, hope for something else. Mm-hmm. And I just want to share that. I think it's just like, I would love, I just want to keep sharing that, especially with therapists who do such important work. Mm -hmm. What do you find, like when you're, do you find there's some kind of early sign when your body's starting to tell you it's needing to shut down? Mm. Well, I think it was just the pandemic was a super just strange place for me personally. Yeah. Cause I, those natural, if I think about those natural places where I would find rest, were not mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my faith community or my tennis community, which I love my tennis community. They really, I love to play tennis. That's my kind of play outlet. I think those natural rhythms in my life were changed. Yeah, And so then, you know, I felt like those those places where I got those pockets of rest or renewal and de-stressing, 
Um, even the rhythm of my kids being in preschool or school, you know, that them going to school and me having like my time that was not present. So again, it's also, I think, adding on that caregiver stress of having young young children totally at the time. So there was like a lot of layers, which make it hard for me to tease out. (laughs) Yes. Uh, during that specific instance. But, you know, a lot of times I think just not sleeping or pushing too hard. I mean, that's what I've noticed more now. Like when I feel like I'm pushing or I have to get this done, I mean, there's, there's stretching for something and then there's overextending. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm learning more now, like, okay, if I'm sprinting to get something done, I need to have extended rest on the other end of that sprint. Like that's really important for my body. Mm Mm-hmm to not continue to to keep running without refueling. If we're just thinking yeah. of even like a food perspective, like what does our body need just from a fuel and output perspective? Yeah. So I don't, I didn't, wasn't really a great answer. But. No, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm mindful of our time that we probably should be wrapping up in the next couple of minutes here. But I thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. How can people reach out if they want to learn more about how to get into your world? Well, thank you so much. And I love your questions. I love this project. I'm so excited that you're doing this. And yeah, if people want to get just a a taste of getting started with what you might want to create, a good spot is rebeltherapist.me. Awesome. I'm sure people will reach out and connect. Well, thank you so much, Annie. I've enjoyed this and I know we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Jen. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Joy After Burnout podcast. Be the first to hear new episodes by following the podcast in your podcast player. This is an informational podcast only. Any information expressed by the host or guest is not a substitute for legal, medical, or financial advice. 